well, because it's, I mean, why would anybody want to be a priest? Or why would anybody want to be uh, a social worker? Or why would anybody want to be a human rights defender, right? Mm -hmm. Because they believe it's important to the country and they believe in what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. journalists aren't special in that way. They're, they're part of a people in society who are trying to improve society, trying to hold society accountable. Oftentimes, the level of censorship in a country can reflect the state of the governmental leadership. How free are reporters to report their findings? Are they allowed to objectively investigate topics no matter if they involve the country's leadership? Do they face harsh repercussions like imprisonment or death? Frederick Douglass once said, to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the rights of the hearer as well as those of the speaker. For many people, news outlets are the source from which they're able to learn what laws are passed, what major events have happened, and how world politics are playing out. The ability to report truth is vitally important. Even before its revolution, America had a reporter who started a renowned newspaper in order to share truth with fellow citizens. In 1728, Benjamin Franklin started the Pennsylvania Gazette. He used the platform as a way to examine more than one side of any given issue and to publish the different points of view so that readers could be informed. Walter Isaacson said of Benjamin Franklin, Franklin is one of the first American publishers to understand that freedom of press and tolerance are part of what it is to be a newspaper editor and what it is to be a printer. And part of the genius of America is that we're open in our discourse. Nestled in the pages of the American Constitution is the First Amendment, which states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The Constitution that acts as the foundation of America recognizes the dangers of oppressing the speech of its citizens, whether that be verbal or written. There are many countries that are unable to experience safety and security when it comes to reporting the news. In this episode, we will hear from Frank Smith, the founder and executive director of Global Journalist Security. Before entering the world of security training, Frank had an extensive career as a foreign correspondent for many news outlets. In the future days, which we seek to make secure, we look forward to a world founded upon four essential human freedoms. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. I'm not sure that I really know. I didn't want to say, I didn't always want to be a journalist. Um, I was uh, torn when I was younger between an interest in environmentalism and ultimately an interest in environmental law and an interest in uh, social justice issues, in particular what was happening uh, in El Salvador back in the uh, early 1980s. Just after dawn, leftist guerrillas who control much of the countryside here attacked a beer lorry out on the open road. 
a typical economic target designed to disrupt supplies. But a mile down the same road, rightists had attacked and horribly mutilated three men from the nearby town. People in passing buses simply stared and accepted it. So I ended up um, uh, going to law school briefly and then realizing that uh, that wasn't going to work for me. So I left law school, dropped out of law school, and then uh, got into Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, um, which I thought was going to um, be more appropriate for getting me to... Um, getting me to uh, Salvador. And um, I eventually went, then I uh, got a research grant to go to Salvador to look at the trade union movement, which was quite volatile and holding demonstrations that were very important, both for and against the government. In the course of that investigation, I managed to obtain classified U.S. documents, confidential and secret documents, and I ended up publishing in The Nation um, 20, almost 30 years ago now. And uh, at that point, I realized, and when I was in grad school, I increasingly realized that I wanted to be a reporter. But it wasn't until I got to grad school that I started studying international relations that I realized that was the that was a route that I probably wanted to take. Attention, please. This is the final call for Korean Air. If you're going to be at doing international journalism, it's expensive. So that kind of means you have to, um, you got to get somebody else who's, you got to get a sponsor, right? Or somebody who you're working for. Um, if you're paying for it yourself, it's going to cost you, it's going to cost you more money. Um, I ended up um, working for Human Rights Watch to lead arms trafficking investigations for them. And this is back before, um, uh, you know, this is back uh, when Human Rights Watch did very proactive arms trafficking investigations. And as a result of that, um, Human Rights Watch recruited me, or someone at Human Rights Watch recruited me to go to Rwanda. Um, I barely knew where the country was. I knew anything about the country. To go to Rwanda to then uh, investigate who was arming what government, the guerrillas. So I went to Rwanda in May and June of 1993. And... Uh, uh, managed to come away with an, a successful um, successful set of documents uh, and other evidence to show the role of France, um, South Africa, and Egypt, but really the role of France was the most explosive in terms of arming Rwanda, including financing a $6 million arms deal between Rwanda and Egypt. Egypt did it just for the money because uh, Egypt makes arms and France did it for its own its own political interests. During the Gulf War, I um, realized that uh, the from Latin America is going to be tough to get on the news. So I managed to compel my various uh, outlets, including the Village Voice, to give me some backing to, uh, to, to go to go to Jordan to try and cover the Iraq, uh, the Gulf War, starting from Jordan. And um, I managed, uh, uh, CBS 
uh, News, who I was a stringer for, had hotel rooms available they weren't all using. Uh, the Village Voice gave me a retainer, and I think we split the airfare. So I managed to get to, um, to Jordan. As the Gulf War begins, the 10 Eyewitness News will cover it 24 hours a day. For a 24-hour coverage, there is only one news source you have to watch. I covered the war from Jordan, which was a little frustrating because I couldn't get into Iraq, but it was still a good story in Jordan in terms of covering refugee, refugees fleeing the country, um, though we were hardly the only ones covering that story. And then um, uh, toward the end of the Gulf War, right at the end of the Gulf War, there a Shia, an uprising began in the south of the Shiites and the Kurds a little later in the north. So myself and a very young, an even younger stringer than myself, decided we were going to try and get into northern Iraq, or get into Iraq. Eventually we got into northern Iraq with the guerrillas, uh, with the Kurdish guerrillas, even though we were also talking to the Shiites. We had a, uh, a week or over a week where the Kurds were liberated uh, northern Iraq or their Kurdish areas of northern Iraq, and that was a, um, a time of great joy for the for the for the Kurds, certainly in the north. And then it um, and then it uh, completely shifted when Saddam Hussein's regime launched a counteroffensive. Okay. All right. I didn't say it. And. Um, journalism through the 1990s. It did well in terms of getting published, but it was pretty hard to make a 
living, right? Um, and so I ended, ended up eventually realizing I needed a gig. You know, I need something a little more permanent, stable. So I ended up finally taking a job uh, with the uh, Committee to Protect Journalists. Um, and, uh, and in the beginning, I was their Washington representative, which I did for 15 years. Um, but at a certain point, um, I, I started in 2000. By the, uh, by the beginning of 2002, uh, Wall Street Journal uh, correspondent named Daniel Pearl was abducted and then later murdered and beheaded by al-Qaeda forces in Pakistan. The story we want to cover is Danny Pearl walking free. With last week's kidnapping of Wall Street Journal reporter Daniel Pearl, foreign journalists working in Pakistan are facing new risks. And after that, CPJ decided they wanted to start or revamp their journalist security program. And I had more experience um, covering difficult and, and armed conflicts than, than anyone else in the organization. So they increased my duties, gave me health insurance, and asked me to um, and asked me to uh, to then go ahead and um, and run that program. So that gave me the opportunity to look at journalists securely from a programmatic point of view. In addition to looking at journalism from a um, from sort of an academic point of view, it's one thing to do. It's another thing to start. I eventually started teaching journalism too at American University, but I learned a lot about the way the way you can look at journalist security, what's written about journalist security, and became an expert in that, and then began writing about that quite prolifically myself, and that sort of eventually set me up to be able to um, to run the company that I run now. We begin with a developing story. A Fox 40 reporter and photographer attacked while out trying to cover a murder investigation. Deb continued to roll as police kept watch. Without warning, Deb was grabbed from behind and thrown to the ground. safety basics to 
most of our exact courses. And we also cover sexual assault in a way that other firms haven't done. So it's a little bit more, it's more than just a military protocol. You know, uh, sexual assault, it's about awareness, avoidance, de-escalation, and escape skills in that order. You want to be aware of threats to avoid them, not get yourself in a situation. I don't mean about the weight this or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about noticing that, um, you know, you've got a problem with you. got getting unwanted attention from a particular individual or individuals and making sure you're not in a position where they give anybody an opportunity to strike you. Um, combat, it's about understanding what's different between hiding from a shooter uh, and actually getting behind things that will actually stop the bullets from hitting you. So what we call concealment to hide versus cover versus something that will stop uh, uh, bullets and shrapnel. Um, we also do things like uh, mob protests and hire actors and try to create that situation. Interrogation, so people understand how to deal what their own reactions to stress are, right? Which could be a fight, flight, or freeze response. And then how to mitigate that, and also things like checkpoint scenarios, how to handle uh, checkpoint scenarios. What's the lesson we want people to come away with?
who also still need the training. Um, we can also, in the process, uh, when we have free spaces in a class, we can try and help freelancers too. Well, in terms of security, the first thing is always give yourself a margin of error. Always, you know, always presume that things can get worse than you than they seem like they're going to get. So it's very important that you um, that you give yourself um, a margin of error greater than uh, you might have otherwise. You got to realize that things can turn on a dime, and you don't want to be on the wrong end of that. So you've got to give yourself a margin of error and be prepared for things to uh, to go south, right? Uh, uh, without on a moment's notice, and that's um, and that's tricky. Channel 2 News has obtained an Oakland Police Department audio recording in which 19-year-old Devondre Broussard confesses to police to stalking and killing Oakland journalist Chauncey Bailey. Just shot his fire. Didn't shot fire again and again. So murders of journalists in, in the United States and most of the developed nations are rare, number one. Number two, in Chauncey Bailey's case, because a number of journalists in Oakland, in and around the Bay Area, organized and began invest independently investigating the murder and the alleged suspects, which encouraged law enforcement not to give up the case. Eventually, the suspects in that case, uh, and the suspects who we believe actually committed the crime, were in fact brought to trial and prosecuted and sentenced. Uh, so you actually had resolution in that case. You had, you had justice, you had punishment for the people who committed the murders. But those two things are both rare. Murders in this country are rare where they're commonplace in many other less developed, many less developed nations around the world, number one. And the, the successful prosecution of those murders um, is not rare in the United States. Uh, most of those cases in the United States, when they do occur, are prosecuted. But in most less developed, many less, many of not most less developed nations, when journalists are murdered, the prosecutors tend to get away with it. We have a relative, relatively speaking, it's not perfect. But we have rule of law. We have functioning judiciaries. 
bad guys have a problem with the press. They don't just make a phone call or, or call somebody in their office and have seven go murder that journalist. You know, the worst we've seen it recently is the guy who was running Uber started trying to hire people to raise you know, dirt on journalists, you know, about their personal habits. Um, but uh, when, when, when people like that have a problem with the press, they're not, they're not inclined to try and have them murdered. Where in a lot of less developed nations, uh, unfortunately, journalists are murdered with alarming frequency and with impunity in uh, almost all those cases. I mean, it's absolutely essential that journalists are able to safely report the news. And, um, and, it's, and it's key to the free fall of information that allows for democratic participation and for democracies to, to, to flourish. And to give you an example of how important that is, a journalist, uh, journalists get killed in war zones, but most journalists that are killed are murdered, right? By two guys on a motorcycle shooting a journalist in the back of the head, killing them in the front of their homes or their offices or on their way to work. Right, this happens about once every 10, 10 to 12 days or so uh, on average around the world. So every, uh, every uh, less than every two weeks, a journalist is murdered somewhere around the world. And in nearly nine out of 10 of those journalist murders, the murders get away with complete impunity. Right, and I'm talking about countries uh, in Latin America like Brazil. I'm talking about countries uh, in sub-Saharan Africa like the Democratic Republic of the Congo. I'm talking about countries like the Philippines. I'm talking about countries like Somalia. I'm talking about countries like Russia. In all these nations, actually, uh, uh, in all these nations, journalists have been killed, uh, with the exception of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but the rest of them are at the top, near the tops of the list of journalists being murdered uh, in, in their own nations. And the reason they're being murdered is the bad guys don't want uh, certain information coming out and murdering journalists is an incredibly cost-effective way of silencing not only that journalist but but countless other journalists who are intimidated who don't want to end up murdered like that journalist was. And that I think answers your question because it shows the value of a free press and the importance of journalists being able to report safely and the fact that we, we lack that in so many nations around the world is a major problem. It shows you the level of uh, the lack of of transparent democratic accountability that you want to see in, in nations. And for the most part, we have seen in nations in the United States, Canada, Western Europe, and Japan, right? The, uh, the G8, G10 nations. But as you go beyond that, you start to see that uh, the democratic structure's transparency breaks down, right? And that's a very tricky thing. A lot of times what journalists do is they're reporting on tough stories in places where, where, where government institutions, where judicial systems and law enforcement fails to be able to prosecute certain stories. They can prosecute common crime, for instance, but if there's uh, an organized effort by, let's say, military forces to work with illegal paramilitary or militia forces to target trade unions, journalists, community activists like we've seen uh, for decades, for instance, in Colombia, then, um, then it's very difficult for journalists to report on certain stories without being targeted themselves. Why would anybody want to be a priest? Or why would anybody want to be uh, a social worker? Or why would anybody want to be a human rights defender? 
right? Because they believe it's important to the country and they believe in what they're doing, right? Journalists aren't special in that way. They're they're part of a, a people in society who are trying to improve society, trying to hold society accountable, right? Um, you can say, well, forget it. I don't want to do that. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to uh, worry about myself, which also, nothing wrong with that either, right? People have families and they're trying to make ends meet. So it's a personal choice and I don't think you should judge people either way. But people become journalists for the same reason they engage in any kind of work that gives them meaning. The difference is in other countries, the risks are much higher than they are uh, in this country and most other developed nations. essential 
human freedom. The first is freedom of speech and expression everywhere in the world. Recently, journalism has been a hot topic. Shortly after the election, it was revealed that on both sides of the political spectrum, many people had been getting their information from fake news sources. More recently, President Trump stated that the media is, quote, the enemy of the American people, end quote. It would seem that the integrity of journalism and the treatment towards the profession are in question. In a country where freedom of speech is a basic freedom, it's important to keep a finger on the pulse and make sure that journalism stays objective in reporting facts and free to seek truth. The foundation of independence is consistent of many different elements, and freedom of press is one of them. Thanks for tuning in to this new episode of Profiles. If you'd like to learn more about Frank and global journalist security, you can find further information at www.journalistsecurity.net Music for this episode is once again composed and provided by Ross Bugden. He has many more wonderful songs on his YouTube channel, so be sure to enter his name in the search bar and prepare to be amazed. For our next episode, we're going a little off schedule. Rather than being bi-weekly with the last installment of Independence, we're going to air Part 4 next Monday, February 27th. Thanks again for joining us as we dive into independence. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and now Twitter. We have a lot of fun segments coming up, and you can stay tuned in via our social media outlets. Trust me, you don't want to miss out. Until next time, have a great week and keep searching for the truth.